BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. My friends, I am Vivian McPeak, and this is Hemp Present. If you have feedback or would like to suggest a guest or topic for Hemp Present, email me at hempresent at gmail.com. I greatly enjoy hearing from you, the listener. This show is called Hemp Present, and it's on cannabis radio, but I occasionally veer into topics historically related to the cannabis culture and the 1960s alternative culture, which is arguably responsible for the high profile that cannabis has today. Hence, my guest today, Storm King. Storm King is a retired social media social activist who loves telling stories about growing up as the hippie. He was raised by his mother, Marge King, and somewhat by his aunt, Jean Mayo Malay. For various reasons, those two ladies ended up smack dab in the middle of some of the most seminal events of the hippie era, including the famous 1966 Watts acid test and the 1967 Monterey International Pop Festival. Storm was also in attendance as one of the few children at both events. His family members were devout followers of and to a degree friends with Timothy Leary, whom they met in 1964. Storm received his first dose of very pure LSD from his mother in the proper set and setting in the fall of 1965, just before turning 12. After an initial career as an electronics technician, Storm went back to school later in life and got a PhD in clinical psychology. He has a blog page that tells the many stories he has to share of growing up as a hippie at www.ramdoslove.org. Storm is here to tell us stories of what it's like to be a child raised by adults who became friends with counterculture icons such as Timothy Leary, Owsley Stanley, and Ram Das, and he is here. Welcome, Storm, to Cannabis Radio. Thank you. I'm happy to do this. This is fun. <laughs> My pleasure, man. Now, I just want to start off by saying that Storm King is an awesome and unusual name, and I understand that it's your birth name. What was the inspiration for your moniker? Well... I get a lot of comments on that. People wonder what kind of a name Storm is. Um, my father grew up in Washington State with Native American Indian friends, and one of them had a Native American Indian name that translated to Storm. I had an older brother named Forrest, and I have an older sister named Ticola. Wow, that's great. I, my son's name is Forrest, right. so that's, that's pretty cool. Um, I have read where you have said that your culture of origin is West Coast hippie. Can you expand upon that? Yeah, um, my mom was a little older. She was already in her early 30s when she had me. And of course, I was quite a bit younger. I was like uh, 14, almost 13, almost 14 in the summer of 1967. But that is the culture that we 
that we that those are the hippies are the people that my mom and my aunt hung out with and and that is the 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 um the things that we did and the and the events that we occurred and the the values that i i learned as a young and uh, teenager in my formative years were all uh, based on what the hippie counterculture represented nice um so Owsley Stanley III, a.k.a. Bear, was a chemist who made a specific brand of pure LSD in the 1960s, supplying the acid test for the Merry Pranksters, where the Grateful Dead originally polished their chops. And I understand that you have a or had a personal connection with Owsley. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, Owsley was a friend of my mother's. Um, they met at a fundraiser that my aunt held uh, in, in either late 1960, um, three or early 1966, 65 or 66, um, because my aunt was the uh, West Coast head of the Timothy Leary Defense Fund when Timothy Leary was looking at 30 years in prison in Texas for two joints. Um, so they met at that thing. And then shortly after that, um, they attended the uh, 1966 Watts acid test in February. And then shortly after that, um, you know, there was a period of time for six months where the Grateful Dead lived in LA. And that was the area, that's where we lived on the beach in Venice. And shortly after um, the Watts acid test, um, Bear invited all the members of the Grateful Dead to our house. And they had a really big, um, they all took LSD and tripped all night on the beach in Venice in early 1966. And you can actually read that. It's on page 83 in Phil Lesh's autobiography searching for this sound. And um, he mentions a party at Jean's house. That's Jean is my aunt. So so you were a child. And so you were kind of the fly on the wall, right? That that was just there. Uh, and I imagine people were just carrying on like, like you weren't there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I got to watch a lot of things happen. But there were there were a handful of times when 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 I was given LSD in the proper set and setting, and it was kind of a sacrament. Now, I, I have to mention, I've written these stories up on my blog postings, and, and I've gotten some feedback from people when I posted them about uh, constituting child abuse to give a young child LSD. And in today's modern world, that is certainly true. But in the context of the time, it was a, it was a, a sacrament. It was a chemically induced spiritual awakening. It, it was, it was legal. It was legal yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah it, it was legal right up through 19, you know, the first few times I took it, it was still legal, absolutely. Yeah. Well, what was that experience like for you, man? Well, it, it really it really changed something fundamental inside of me because I, I experienced the, the oneness of everything on a cosmic consciousness level. You know, I, uh, I had these overwhelming um, ideas of, everything being connected to everything and you know it lasts for a short while and then the next day you got to go to school anyway um and you know i but i we were able to integrate those experiences into a philosophical approach to life that says that you know um we are all the same family that was one of the things ramdas talked quite a bit about later I'll just point out that we're not condoning or suggesting that anybody give children uh, LSD or any other uh, psychoactive substance, uh, but but we are telling the story of your That's experience. A good point, yes. <laughs> um, 
Storm, the Merry Pranksters, under the leadership of the famous author and counterculture icon Ken Kesey, held these events that you mentioned called acid tests, where Kool-Aid was spiked with Owsley's LSD and often just the just formed Grateful Dead performed while light shows took place in the background. You were at the February 12th, 1966 acid test, and you were quite young. What was that experience like for you? And what, what was going on there? Well, you know, my aunt and my mom had recently met Osley and Timothy Scully, and I think um, Don Douglas also, and that's probably why they ended up at that event. I was brought along, and my cousin says she came also, to operate a hand-cranked strobe light that my aunt had constructed, because she did some of the lighting effects at that event. And I remember you know, this, um, this strobe light, I remember cranking it to make it in tune with the music that was coming out. Um, I remember there was a really, really long delay in any music being, being um, uh, produced because there was problems with the equipment. And, you know, I've checked with Tim Scully, who's the one person I am in touch with to this day, who, who was also at that event, um, besides the my cousin. The brother and of Rock Scully, correct? No, they're oh. not related to rock. They're not no. related, just, just, just no. a coincidence. Just a coincidence, yes. Oh, okay, my bad. Yeah, and, um, and his memory and my memory don't jive all that well, but, you know, it was, a, you know, 50 some odd years ago, and uh, that's to be expected. But um, I remember people dancing in front of the strobe light and the effect of that. And um, I have this memory of people climbing up the fire escape to get in because it had gotten too crowded to let any more people in in the main entrance. Um, Tim doesn't happen to remember that part, but it's you know it's hard to piece out exactly what happened. Um, so, you know, I was not under the influence of anything at that time, um, but most people there were. <laughs> my 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 mother appears in the book by Tom Wolf um, called the Electric Kool Aid Acid Test, not not by name, okay. But in the part that is describing the actual events of that Watts acid test, there's a mention of a much older lady and how she was kind to everybody. And the, the, the person that's being interviewed um, by Tom Wolf um, refers to that lady uh, as a witch. So when I wrote up my blog story, I said, my mother, the good witch of the Watts acid test. <laughs> um, Storm Ram Dass originally uh, Richard Alpert, PhD, was an American spiritual teacher, psychologist, and the author of the seminal hippie Bible, really, Be Here Now. You had associations with Ram Dass back in the day uh, via your mother. What was Ram Dass like as a person, and can you share a story with us about your experiences with him? Yes, uh, my mom and my aunt attended the seminar in 1964 in October at Esalen, where they met Richard Alpert, Timothy Leary, and Ralph Metzner. Um, so in 19, er, early 1966, Richard Alpert came to visit us at that same house on Venice Beach where the Grateful Dead had partied. And uh, we discovered a common passion for a particular science fiction book called Stranger in a Strange Land by Robert Heinlein. And we actually, uh, my sister and, and Richard Alpert and I did a little ceremony with a glass of water where we became water brothers, like the characters in that book did. And um, it, it was he, he in, his, in the letters that he sent us uh, over the next decade, he referred to us as his water brothers. So it was kind of a special thing. Um, we, uh, um, 
my mother and um, Wavy Gravy, I know, are, are two people that had close friendships with Richard Alpert that continued their friendship once he became Rondas. I, I know there's probably lots of others, but those are two that I am I'm, I'm very aware of. Um, so they stayed in touch by correspondence and we visited him. Um, one of my one of my best Rondas stories, it was that in 1973, I had a very difficult year. A lot of my thinking became unhinged and it wasn't related to any drugs. I wasn't doing any drugs, but I was, I was not thinking in any kind of reality-based thing. And I was having hallucinations and I was hitchhiking all over. And my mom called Ramdas at one point and asked him to check in on me psychically. And he did. And I remember his presence coming into my, I was hitchhiking into Nevada and we just kind of sat in this mental space for a moment or two. And then when I came out of it, my mom said that he had called her and told her that I was okay, but I wasn't gonna be home for a while yet. So I visited him after that and kind of thanked him for that. <laughs> Fascinating. Um, we are gonna have to take a trip to the first break, but we will flash back for the second segment here in just a minute. So stay with us. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at shoogies.com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take anywhere treat. We're back to Hemp Present, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we're back on Hemp Present with Storm King. Uh, Storm, in addition to attending an acid test as a young person, and I can imagine there are a lot of us uh, who uh, are kind of jealous of, of just somebody having a presence at these historic uh, events, you were also at the formative Griffith Park Love-In in Los Angeles in 1967, still quite young. Uh, what was that love-in like for you? Well, that was a very memorable day. It was Easter Sunday in 1967. And we got dressed and we made some God's eyes and, and the music was really good. And we were, as we were sitting there listening to the music, I noticed some people coming through the crowd at, at holding hands and they were, people were jumping up and grabbing on the end and they made a people train that weaved in and out of the, of the uh, crowd. So I jumped up and I joined it and then somebody joined me and we had this people train of several hundred people and then we weaved in and out of the trees and up the hill and down the hill and, and came back out into the open meadow at the furthest part away from where the band was playing. And we formed a circle. And, and everybody knew what was going to happen, but nobody, nobody told anybody what to do. We formed this ginormous circle. And then we all rushed into the middle and formed a people puddle. And it was so incredible because it was just this feeling of Connection. And again, I wasn't on any drugs at, on that on that day. You know, I only did LSD in, when when it was an absolute proper set and setting, and there was a guide and everything was arranged. Okay, um, 
but you know some of the people probably were but about um four or five years ago i found on youtube a grainy eight millimeter video of that event and that people train and that people puddle and i, I looked for myself in that video um I didn't, I didn't find myself but i know where i was when the when the camera was showing the the circle we formed it was just off to the left you know there's another video that i've looked for myself in i'm going to segue into that if you don't mind the if you um if you uh, search youtube for ravi shankar at monterey pop there's a 20 minute video of the end of his three hour show and i was in the audience that day also and i've looked for myself in that video also and i know right where i was but it doesn't the camera doesn't quite get to me and the reason I was in the audience at the 1967 Monterey Pop Festival is because after we moved to Los Angeles um, in 1965, and my aunt met Ravi Shankar's tabla player. His name was Alaraka, and she became his mistress for three years in the late 60s. So that's how come we drove up to Monterey for the Pop Festival, and we had. Um, um, you know, the, the, the segment on YouTube is absolutely mind blowing. And besides the Watts acid test, one of the most precious memories in my entire life has to do with after that performance where Ravi and, and Alaraka go back and forth faster and faster and faster and they just totally blow everybody's mind because you can't believe they can actually do that on a sitar and a tabla that fast. After the performance was over and all the cheering and, and everything, uh, my aunt went up on stage because, and then she beckoned me to come up on the stage. And they had me help them put one of the tabla drums into a bag and carry it out off the stage around the back and out to the parking lot and put it into the trunk of their car. And I, I was just like, you know, it was one of those moments when you know you're involved in a historic event because that tabla drum had just completely blown 10,000 people's minds. It was really cool. Carolyn Mountain Girl Garcia, who's been a guest on this show, had a child with Ken Kesey and then went on to be the wife of Jerry Garcia, the late iconic guitarist of the Grateful Dead. Uh, you have a story about Mountain Girl. Can you share that with us? Yes, um, so we were we were somewhat acquaintances with the with the Grateful Dead. Um, we got some backstage passes Be, because of that party they had in our house, and because of our close association with Osley and Tim Scully. Um, so one time uh, in in '68, I believe it was um, uh, Jerry Garcia and Mountain Girl came to our house in Santa Monica. And um, they, had, they had gotten popular enough and famous enough that when they showed up at our house, I knew that this was somebody that was very influential to a lot of people. So I was paying really close attention to what we did that day. <laughs> and what we did was we broke up a big brick of seedy, stemmy marijuana on our kitchen table. And we used album covers to roll the seeds out, out of it. and. Uh, that's my Jerry Garcia Mountain Girl story. So you broke up a brick with uh, with Jerry a Mountain Girl. Yeah, we did. <laughs> um, in your opinion, how would you characterize the values and the ethos of the 1960s counterculture if you had to boil it down? Because we could probably spend this entire show just touching on the subject. But but what do you think that that 
the basic essence of the va uh, values and ethos of the 60s were? Well, you know, for the longest time, I've signed my emails and my letters with the expression, peace, love, and may the force be with you. Okay, that's just part of who I am now. Um, the, 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 the hippie culture was radical in the sense that it was, it rejected materialism, uh, it rejected consumerism, um, and you know, it was seeking an alternative. Um, the, the, there was the, the experience of really pure LSD when it's done the right way, when you have this overwhelming chemically induced spiritual awakening um, is it can be profound, it, but we were also somewhat naive in that sense. Okay, I believe that we, uh, most of us, uh, completely overestimated the lasting value of those kind of experiences, and I think we completely underestimated how difficult it would be to get other people to change. Um, so, a lot of the things that I mean, if you had asked me in the late '60s about 2020. I would have said, oh, war is all over, no more hunger, you know, world peace. I, I was sure, you know, that stuff was coming around the corner. And now I think that there's another uh, change happening that is, is more lasting and more uh, stable and, you know, more gradual in the sense of uh, people becoming involved in, um, uh, you know, saving our planet for peace sakes, you know, uh, doing things that, um, that, that we have to do. One of the aspects of the hippie culture that doesn't get talked a lot about anymore was the communal living that occurred in many places. Um, and I've, I've looked at this issue quite a bit and I just don't think people were designed by evolution to ever live alone. You know, back in the caveman days, which is most of our history, survival was tribal. And, um, you know, I. I see a lot of people that are really struggling because we're you we, we're asking too much of people to to not to to do things not in the context of a tribe or what what I say is this if you want to raise emotionally stable people emotionally intelligent it takes people, a village it takes a village yes exactly it takes a community it takes a tribe um, we only have about two minutes left for the next break, but how might those 1960s values and ethos apply to what we're living through today, in your opinion? How, how can we, how can we, what can we take uh, from, from, from th those experiences and uh, ethos uh, practically into this, this crazy reality that we're dealing with today? Well, you know, those of us that that experience those kinds of um, 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 events where where there was a you know a lot of cooperation there was a lot of there wasn't there was it, it, people have to stop being focused on what they can get and start being more focused on what they can give okay this I mean th that would be a prescription for for a lot of good changes in the world um, but the, the the, you know, like Woodstock was a good example. You know, they had 500,000 people there and they were, they were running out of food. There was hardly places to, you know, to, um, but everybody helped everybody out. Nobody to, you know, nobody really suffered because it was, it was, um, the goal was to, was to help each other through it. And, you know, 
Burning Man is an example of a more modern kind of time when a lot of that is involved. I've been to Burning Man three times. And what I was struck with each time was that, wow, if people can live this way for 10 days with no money and, and no, no uh, stores to buy anything, you know, why can't we generalize at least some of that to the other 355 days of the year? Um, I am talking to Storm King about his uh, amazing and almost nefarious uh, upbringing. And we're going to take another break and come right back for our final question. So don't go anywhere. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we are back on him present with Storm King, who survived the uh, the storm of the 1960s most admirably. Um, oh, Storm, it's interesting that psychedelics is making a comeback right now, and with a more respectable image, uh, right? As as there's like clinical applications being looked at, and I think Oregon uh, and and maybe some other municipalities have actually legalized uh, the use of psychedelics for personal use. Um, so this is a timely, uh, a timely moment to be talking about all of this. I'm just curious what you think the lasting impact of the hippie movement is. What might modern day society benefit the most from out of the hippie example, in your opinion? Well, there, there was a lot of ways that, that we really thought of everybody as part of the same family. Okay. Um, and the Ramdas tells a great story. When he published Be Here Now, um, he sold it, uh, it. The original Bindu to Ojai was like $3.50. It was at cost. And um, his father said, you know, you should make some money off of this. You could charge more than that. And Rhonda said to his father, he said his father was some sort of attorney or whatever. And he said, remember when you represented uncle so-and-so, did you charge him? He's like, no, no, your uncle's family. I couldn't make money off of him. And Rhonda says, when you show me somebody that isn't family, then I'll make money off of them. Okay? And that ethos, that um, um, you know, putting, um, uh, putting yourself as just you know, one of many rather than trying to climb the corporate ladder and get ahead of everybody else, you know, that is making a bit of a comeback. Um, you know, the Grateful Dead were another example in the way that they allowed their fans to record their concerts. And now we have this ginormous archive of all these Grateful Dead concerts that just shared and is freely available. Nobody made any money off of that. You know, um, Ramdas lectures are all available on, on the, uh, the Love Serve Remember site 
stuff for free. You know, it's just there. Um, when you mentioned <clears throat> the current research and use of psychedelics, there is one finding that is absolutely robust and repeated. And, and every time they look at it, they find the same thing. And that is this. If you have someone who is terminal and they're afraid to die, and they're you know, really, really worried about dying, if you give them a healthy dose of an appropriate psychedelic in the correct set and setting, a huge bunch of them lose that fear permanently. With just one with one dose administered that way and, and i think it's because you know psychedelics open they they get in there and they cause all your brain cells to talk to each other in ways that they never did before and probably won't again and in that process of that you experience directly the way that everything is connected to everything and um you know uh, it it's worth noting that um, repeating that experience over and over, you get diminished value each time. Rhonda said that taking psychedelics was like looking through a window into a room, and what your soul really wanted to do was find the door and go into the room. Right? And that's been my experience also. I haven't done it in a very, very long time. Um, but it, it is interesting that they're making the comeback and that um, people are, are having these experiences with. Uh, um, certain certain drugs that can that can it, consciousness expansion is what it was about, and we're we're desperately in need of more of that, aren't aren't we? And it really it really comes down to you know can we get beyond uh, self interest and materialism uh, and and find a headspace where we're all more concerned about the common good. Um, and and speaking of the common good, you can read more details about the stories that Storms detail today at www.ramdoslove.org. Uh, he created uh, and, uh, and published that site on a shoestring budget, and there is a donation button available if you choose to support Storms' efforts. Storm King, thank you so much for your stories, and thank you so much for being on Hemp Present. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. <laughs> My pleasure. That concludes this installment of Hemp on Canada's Radio. When it comes to prohibition, you got the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice to so find your voice, speak up for justice because resistance is for a time. See you next week. Stay strong. Marijuana! The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. This year, build your credit history with the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. No credit checks to apply. Get started at Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Chime checking account and 200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply.